0: This episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by Tommy John. Tommy John makes underwear that keeps everything in place, whichever way a man moves. For 20% off your first purchase, go to tommyjohn.com slash fool and use the promo code fool. That's tommyjohn.com slash fool using the promo code fool. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. And welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. As I mentioned last week, this week we are devoting our time to mental tips and tricks. This is the second in an occasional series, like some of my other series. So This is volume two. You can go back some months hence. Find it on Spotify, iTunes, etc. You'll see our first mental tips and tricks if you missed it. Uh, These are additive. I'm not going to go back over any of those. And in fact, I've got some good suggestions from some of our Rule Breaker Investing listeners to add in as well. And we've also thrown in the life hack wrinkle. So now, officially, this series going forward is mental tips and tricks and life hacks. And I've got seven for you this time around. So let's, without further ado, bring it on. Number one. And number one is the two-minute rule. Now, if you are a devotee, as I know some of you are, to David Allen and his work through his Getting Things Done approach to life. It started with his book, written about 15 years ago, called Getting Things Done. David Allen, one of those productivity gurus with sort of a Silicon Valley vibe to him. So, I've never read books like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or The One-Minute Manager or those kinds of things. I know some of you have, and no doubt have learned some important things from those. I was a highly disorganized youth. And for me, I'm going to persist my youth into my early 30s. So, I was a pretty highly disorganized person, even as a husband and a father and then an entrepreneur. It wasn't until about six or seven years after we started The Fool, things were getting so busy, I decided. I need to get more organized. I need to be more productive. And I found, maybe it was an airport bookstore, don't even quite remember the book, Getting Things Done. And I've really been a David Allen fan ever since. So, if you know David Allen, you're going to recognize this one. And if not, well, darn it, then I'm glad I made this number no. 1 this week. Because the two-minute rule is one of those simple mental tips that I hope will make your life a little bit easier and more efficient, it certainly has mine. So, here's the two-minute rule I'm paraphrasing. It is, whatever's on your mind right now, it might be what just popped into your head, something you need to do, maybe it's on a to-do list that that you've written out somewhere. If you can accomplish that thing, literally right now, in two minutes or less, along with Nike, just do it. Just do it. Too often in life, we think, Okay, wait, that's right, I have to do that thing." And then we add it to a list. And we start growing our lists. And we sometimes end up awash if you try to be an organized person in task lists, to-dos. And some of those things, you can actually accomplish right as you think of them or notice them. And if you can accomplish it, David Allen taught me, in two minutes or less, wherever you are, you just do it right then. That accomplishes two important things. The first, the obvious one, you just got that thing done. You're getting things done, and that's a good thing. But the second thing it accomplishes as well is, it simplifies your own mentality. It gives you back the time that you would have taken to write it down on a list, and then try to manage the list, and eventually cross it off the list sometime down the line. And So, there's an aspect of serenity that I think the two-minute rule can give all of its practitioners. It certainly has for me. And so, even in the context right now of the podcast that you're listening to, if there's something that you realize you need to do, and it's going to take you two minutes or less, I fully endorse you either hitting the pause button and just doing it right now, or you can even ignore the next two minutes of this podcast and just do that thing. because The two-minute rule, for me, is a profound, life-changing thing that I've used, really, now for more than 15 years to good effect. And I encourage you to do the same. And you know, there's sort of a corollary to that. It's not exactly this. I'm going to bake this into mental tips and tricks and life hacks number one. It is its own separate thought, but it's also a GTD David Allen thought. And that is, he also has coached us never to have the same thought twice. So, when do we have the same thought twice? I got to do something, we think. And then we walk past that same place in our apartment or in our workplace. You're like, oh, that's right. I got to do that thing. So, you shouldn't be having that same thought twice. If it's a two-minute rule kind of a thing, you should just do it the first time, then you will save your future mind from having to be preoccupied with it at any point. Or, if it takes more than two minutes, then David Allen has suggested to all of us who follow him that you should you should write that one down on a list. You should keep an active list. You should externalize it, get it out of your head. That way, when you next have that thought, it won't be the exact same thought. right? Because the first time you had that thought, you were thinking something like, oh, that's right, I really have to pick up flowers on the way home from work today. I really have to do that. If you've already externalized it, then put it in your calendar, put it on a to-do list. The next time you have that thought, it will be slightly different. You won't be thinking, oh, that's right, I forgot to write that down in my calendar or my task list, or God forbid, oh, that's right, I just got home and I forgot to get the flowers. And so, you should always be making progress, and you should never have the same thought twice, because you should have either finished it in the first place, or changed it up and improved it some because you've already made a little bit of progress toward it. So, thank you, David Allen. In fact, we've had some bright lights on this podcast in recent weeks. I'm not promising anything, but it makes me realize, I think I should have David Allen on this podcast, and maybe we can get him sometime before the end of this year, because he's been somebody that I've learned so much from, and it's made my life a lot easier. And so, I think regardless of whether you're a professional or not, Or, what your field is, I think you can be improved as I have been by some of his good thoughts, like the two minute rule and never had the same thought twice. All right, number two this week. Number two goes to one of my favorite games. It's known by many names. The name that I prefer is Rochambeau. And I prefer that name just because it's a slightly higher brow way of saying rock paper scissors. And I just I love that rock paper scissors would be dignified by a word that sounds French. Although when I actually look it up on Wikipedia, they're spelling it like R O and then sham S H A M B O. And as it turns out, it appears it's actually of Asian origin, uh, thousands of years ago, no doubt. Anyway, this is a this is a great game, and. I know a way to win the game more than a third of the time in certain contexts. Now, anybody who's not familiar with the game, I guess I briefly have to cover it. One, two, three, shoot, and you either throw out two fingers to show scissors in the shape of a scissors, a fist in the shape of a rock, or just your Hand held out in the shape of paper. And I know 98% of us know this, but I like to make sure we're all on board with it. And we do have a fair number of international listeners. And I, I'm never going to presume what's happening in anybody's culture. But in our culture, if you throw the fist, that's rock. And you will defeat your opponent when throwing head to head if they're holding scissors. And then scissors beats paper and paper beats rock. Okay, we've covered Rochambeau briefly. Now, the situation in which you can win, normally you should only win a third of the time. If you play this game thousands of times, it should average out one-third of the time. But, in, in this context, I submit, if you throw what I'm about to tell you, you will win more than half the time. And This can be very effective, because when you're at a bar, which can be one of the most effective places to try this trick, you can usually win a drink or something like that off the person that you're Rochambeauing against. Okay, so here's the situation. Specifically, you need to target a guy. So This, in my experience, Works with men, probably doesn't work with women. So this is we're already kind of narrowing our context. So you're 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 looking just for guys here, and further you're probably trying to be somewhat impulsive. So maybe you're turning to the person next to you at the bar, and you're like, "Hey man, you ready to go for a drink? One two three, shoot!" So you want to start it quick. And you want a guy who might have a little ego, maybe kind of a more macho looking guy. So the earlier you can get him pounding his fist, one, two, three, a lot of times people take their fist and they smack it in the other hand, one, two, three, and you shoot. The earlier and more impulsively you can get him going, the better. Because what you're gonna be throwing is paper. You're throwing paper because more often than not, guys and guys at bars, and impulsive guys at bars, impulsive guys at bars making bets, are going to throw rock. Cause It's like the guy thing to do. Try it out. It works more often than not for me. and I don't think it's because I have any particular spin to how I throw my paper. I think we're talking about human psychology here. And so, I hope I was worth a free drink or something else uh, to you here before the end of 2016 if you try out my mental tip and trick number 2. Before we move on, I want to give a shout-out to our friends at Tommy John, the revolution in men's underwear that focuses on fit, fabric, and function, shirts that stay tucked, socks that stay up, and underwear that keeps everything in place whichever way a man moves. I have to say, I received a complimentary box full of Tommy John underwear, and I went back and reordered. So, I'm putting it out right here. I like this stuff. Let me mention a few things that I like about it. It keeps you comfortable. It's designed and developed using smart fabrics that are breathable, lightweight, non pilling quick-drying, warming for cold weather conditions. There's a wide selection of styles undershirts that actually stay tucked, if that speaks to you, it's true, socks that won't slip, and underwear that keeps everything in place, Tommy John provides a best pair guarantee. If their underwear isn't the best you've ever worn, it's on Tommy John. And to close, as a special offer to our listeners, you get 20% off your first order by going to tommyjohn.com and using the promo code FOOL plus you get free US shipping on any order over $50. That's tommyjohn.com/full promo code full. Thanks again to Tommy John for their support of Motley Fool Podcasts. All right, number 3. Number 3 is all about those wires that all of us have somewhere in our home. Our apartment, our house, in a closet. You've got them, I've got them. Charging wires, there are USB cords, they were maybe part of your Nintendo GameCube of 10 years ago or more, or uh, cameras. Uh, if you're like me, you have a skein, you have a tangle of wires. And you probably, if you're exactly like me, you have quite a bit of them. You might have several of these in multiple closets around uh, where you live. So what I realized at a certain point is that these things are only going to keep aggregating and building up. I need to do something about this. And so what I realized, and I tried this for the first time about three years ago, and it worked, that's why I'm sharing. What I realized is, I'm not throwing these away because I'm paranoid that they have some relevance to me here in 2016. Maybe it was for an old laptop, it was a power cord, and I had this idea that I'm finally going to download the stuff off that laptop before giving away or selling it, and so I need to hold on to that power cord, because that's not the easiest laptop to find, that Toshiba laptop anymore, that 2007 Toshiba laptop anymore. Can't find the power cord as easily, perhaps. And so, just for sheer self-preservation, I hold on to that cord. And there are many other examples of this. So, what I realized is, If I just take a tangle of those cords, and I place them in a plastic bag, and I secure the plastic bag somewhere around where I live in a place that I'll remind myself via my calendar, and I will set a future date, let's call it six months from now. This works, by the way, for other stuff, not just cords. Put it in the plastic bag, set yourself a six-month calendar appointment, that pops up a reminder on that day 6 months from when, whenever you do this that says have you used anything in the plastic bag in the downstairs closet it just pops up right there you've forgotten about it and part of it is you've been able to forget about it you've actually allowed yourself to completely forget about this cuz now you know what you've done you've put this stuff that you didn't want to have to think about in a bag in a certain place and you know you set your calendar reminder so you're you're totally confident as it all pops back up that It will happen. And then you just look through the bag, and if you used anything, great. Hold on to it. And if, more than likely, you didn't use any of it, toss that plastic bag. And then I might suggest rinse and repeat, because I bet something else has just built up over the last six months. And so, going forward, it's a wonderful way, in a mentally pleasing way, to clean things up around your house. Number 4. Number 4 comes as a write-in from a Rule Breakers listener. This one comes from my friend, Ahmed. And Ahmed has written, he's tweeted this out to RBI Podcast, he said, Useful life hack, meal prep. Prepare meals on weekends to eat healthy all week long. Love it. We often hear in the personal finance trade that one of the best ways to save money is to prepare your own meals as opposed to go and spend even those Chipotle shareholders. We want you to spend eight, nine or ten bucks at Chipotle, um, which is fine maybe once or twice a week. but if you're on any kind of a budget, one of the best ways we often have talked about in the past is just make your own meals. And in particular Ahmed is suggesting two additional things. One, do it ahead of time and do it all at once and pick the weekend because that's really the only convenient time probably for most of us to do that. And second, he used the phrase to eat healthy. So this is really your opportunity. If you're taking the time to make your meals ahead of time, then you have this great opportunity to make yourself healthy, to choose good fruits and veggies. I'm not your health counselor, so I'm not going to go too far down this, but to make good decisions ahead of time. And because you're committing the time to make that meal, when you do pop it open later on next Wednesday, you're going to eat it because you knew you committed to make it in the first place and you chose at the time healthy materials and you made your meal. And I think that's great, Ahmed. I have to admit, I don't do this enough myself, but I'm sharing all of our tips this week, as we do every time in this series, with anybody in case they're helpful for you. So thank you for that submission. Next up, number five. Number five is my, one of my favorite least used online tools. So, let me think of a situation in which you might want to use this. Let's pretend you are in a business meeting, and you're trying to make a point about something that in your mind is losing relevance. Let's say everybody else at the table around you is talking, um, maybe vociferously, about how important it is for us to take on this particular issue or do something about this particular problem. But in your mind, you're thinking, this is yesterday's news, or why are we still talking about this 10 years later? So what I've found helpful in these situations, and that's just one of infinite situations where you can use Google Trends. I have found Google Trends as a wonderful online tool to um, make a persuasive point sometimes in a meeting like the one I just described. So Google Trends is Googleable, as you might expect. You could just go to Google.com/trends if you want to find it, or just Google. Google for Google Trends, and you'll find Google Trends. But what it allows you to do is to type in any word or phrase and see, over the course of whatever time period of the past you'd like to specify, to see how often that term has been searched for. So Going back to our example, if you're pretty persuaded that whatever everybody else is talking about is losing relevance, you could have ahead of time Checked Google Trends, you could have seen the last five years. You could even type in your custom date. So you could say the last 27 days. You could show how often that thing has been searched on Google. And because you're doing this ahead of time, you can check ahead of time and know. In our example, that in fact far fewer people are googling that phrase than were way back when, when first, people first at your business started talking about it. So that's just maybe one silly example of how to use it. I've used it in those silly examples before. Uh, it can be very persuasive to bring it up in front of everybody on a screen in a in a conference room somewhere and show how this term might be either far less or far more googled than it was uh, from the beginning. So. It's really helpful, I think, to notice how often, how many people are searching for various things. This is one of those things, once you know about it, you can use it in so many different ways for different benefits. So For me, Google has done so many good things in my life, but this is one of those that I think is relevant to many people, and they either don't know about it, or they've forgotten how useful it can be. In fact, a closing example, the other day I heard somebody use the phrase, digital divide. Um, and You may remember people Often, and this is my point here, talked a lot in the past about how there's a digital divide, about how some people understandably have more access to the internet, e commerce, and resources than other people. But the good news is, if you actually Google trends, the phrase, quote, digital divide, end quote, and look over the last 12 years or so, you'll see it's down about 70 to 80% from how often it was being used more than a decade ago. So just kind of an interesting fact there. Number six comes from Aaron Timmons, and that's at sower. Quite an interesting Twitter handle on Twitter. And Aaron, you wrote, and I and we like this one a lot here. I conferred with my producer Rick Engdahl. We understand where you're coming from, and we agree. You wrote, "Temptation bundling: limit access to the want until you've achieved the need." And you went on to say, "I.e., you said I only listen to Motley Fool Money when exercising." So, parsing that, what you're saying is that you enjoy Motley Fool Money, which I do as well. And that, therefore, for you is a want. But you specifically make sure that you're exercising while listening to Motley Fool Money, because you feel you need to exercise. It's not as pleasant as the want. But by bundling those two things together, we can cause our temptations to, in fact, a be sated, you can absolutely feel free to fall into this temptation, but be productive and successful while at the same time enjoying the want. So, really good point and I have to admit, I don't do this that effectively in my life, but the few times that I do do this, it is with exercise, which I never do enough of, and I do totally agree that by pairing a want with that need, it's much more likely that I and you will exercise. So, Aaron Timmons, thank you very much for that contribution to this week's Rule Breaker Investing. And we close out with number seven. A quick tale here. So, one of the book signings that I did years ago with my brother Tom, maybe it was for our book, You Have More Than You Think, or maybe it was Rule Breakers, Rule Makers. I can't quite remember. In fact, I'm embarrassed to say I can't quite remember where. I think it might have been in Dallas, Fort Worth. So, I'm going to say it was in Texas. And maybe you're listening to me today, sir. Um, I don't even have your name in my mind right now. But you were somebody who, at our book signing, came up and said, Hey, guys, thanks for signing my copy of this Motley Fool book. Let me give you my book. And your book was a short pamphlet. Attractive, um, with pictures. Nice visually done. Makes sense because it was about photography. And your pamphlet was a 40 page guide you gave to laymen, people like me who are not photographers and had never once taken a photography class. And you said, Here you go, layman, here's the way to take a better picture. And that was the point of your pamphlet. And I read it. And from that day, about 15 or 16 years ago forward, it has improved one clear aspect of my picture taking, and the reason I am closing with this uh, is because usually you want to close with something with emphasis that people will remember. And I think in this age of everybody's got a camera in their pocket, in the form of their smartphone, we're all taking so many pictures. Darn it! It is so worth just knowing a few tips about how to take better pictures. So I'm going to give the tip that I remember from this pamphlet, but I'm also going to call my producer Rick Engdahl in because Rick is a professional photographer. He's He's, he's grinning at me and, and, and questioning that, but I know his, the quality of his work, which he sometimes puts on Twitter. Rick, you're at our engdahl on Twitter, right? Yes. So you can see some of Rick's work there, but Rick is going to add one or two additional pro tips after my quick tip. And that's how we'll close it out this week. So my quick tip is the rule of thirds. Now, if you're an experienced photographer, you already know this, but in my experience, less than less than one out of ten people that I meet really know this about taking pictures all the time. And that is that you want to position your subject, let's pretend it's a person, on the left or right one third of the picture as you take it. It's just far more visually interesting than what most people do, which is they position their subject right in the center. And in fact, the question as to whether you want to put that person on the left or right third is usually dependent on what else is around that subject. If there's a really beautiful sunset to the right of that subject, of course, you want to put that subject on the left one-third and show the sunset in the other two-thirds. Far more visually attractive than putting things in the center. And this goes for top to bottom as well. So, if you are just taking a picture of a sunset, don't position that sun right in the center of your picture. Either put it on the bottom third and show the beautiful sky above with the top two-thirds of your picture, or if for some reason what's on the ground in front of you is visually stunning, then put that sunset in the top one-third and show what's beneath it on the bottom two-thirds. I guarantee you, if you don't already know the rule of thirds, I hope you'll always remember it from this point forward, and you will be taking, from this point forward, better pictures. Now, that's not all the savvy this podcast can bring to photographers, because, Rick, I want you to add in one or two, again, pro tips of your own.
1: Thank you, David. Um, Two quick things that I think could help anybody's photography. Awesome. One is uh, just to take a moment to look at everything but your subject. So If you're taking a picture of a person, look around the edges of the photograph, look at the foreground, look at the background, look at everything else, just to make sure nothing's sticking out of their head. Make sure that there's not a weird tree branch sticking in from the edges.
0: How many times have I done that? Guilty as charged. Keep going. It's, I agree.
1: It's amazing how quickly you can clean up a photo with that. <laughs> and the other is maybe a little more artistic, but just think about changing the angle of your photo. A lot of people stand up and hold the camera in front of them, and every photo in their collection is going to be from that angle. What happens if you get down on one knee? What happens if you you know hold your camera up? Uh, what is a different angle that you could approach? And um, those two things kind of work together too, because if you start changing that angle, you'll get different things in the background and foreground. It can help a lot.
0: Tremendous. Thank you, Rick. And by the way, Rick, thank you for all the producing you do. You know, this podcast does not announce our. Our small staff each time, but I would be saying the name Rick Angdal every single Rule Breaker Investing, if not because virtually every single one Rick has produced or helped out in the production. So Rick, thank you for all your great work, and that's it for Rule Breaker Investing this week. Next week, more foolishness to come. In the meantime, fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.